Welcome to Rise Up Firebird, a podcast about women who have transformed their lives. Such change can come in many forms. Some women are dreamers, some are challengers, others are navigators or survivors. But what all of these women have in common is that they never gave up on themselves. They forged their character and found their strength. In sharing these stories, I hope you gain inspiration to never give up on yourself either. The firebird flies to give hope to others. Lady Brenda Hale, Baroness of Richmond. When the opportunity came up to move on and do something even more exciting than I had been doing before, I seized it and I tried my hardest to do it. The fact that it took me to the top is a combination of all sorts of things. If, of course, the fact that little old me was able to do it, that is an encouragement to all. If you are not familiar with Lady Brenda Hale, you may remember the sensation caused by her spider approach. As the highest-ranking judge in the United Kingdom, Lady Hale announced that Boris Johnson's plan to prorogue Parliament during the Brexit negotiations was unlawful. The adage that people pay more attention to what a woman wears than to what she says proved true. Lady Hale's spider brooch, which she wore during her judgment, created a media sensation. Speculation developed over its possible meaning. Perhaps it was a sign of Lady Brenda's mastery control over the tangled web of government. Maybe it was an allusion to the Who's song, Boris the Spider. T-shirts were made, imitation brooches were sold and the spider brooch went on to have its own Twitter account. In truth, Lady Hale intended no such meaning. There was nothing special about the brooch. It was worn on that day simply because it matched her dress and was bought for £12 from cards galore by her husband. Yet the symbolism from the brooch held true. To many, Lady Brenda is hailed as Spider-Woman, an unassuming hero, upholding law and order and protecting the rights of the public. Lady Brenda's judgement on such a high-profile constitutional issue was unprecedented. Yet as we shall find out, Lady Brenda is used to being first. It starts with her being first in her class as a young girl in a small Yorkshire town and it ends with her becoming the first Lady Law Lord in the House of Lords, the first Supreme Court judge in the UK, and its first female president at the age of 72. Throughout her life, Lady Brenda has never shied away from being the exception. She has constantly pushed boundaries, not only in her career, but also in the legal work she has undertaken. She has tackled difficult, sensitive areas of law, in a compassionate way, improving the lives of many by upholding laws on abortion rights, mental health incarceration, parental access and gay rights. In her series of firsts, Lady Hale has succeeded where others have failed or were perhaps denied. She has never taken any of that for granted. Her passionate belief in equality, diversity, feminism and fairness 
means that she has spoken out about her experiences to encourage others and to break down barriers. She believes that the law should serve its people and to do that, those who make the law should represent those people as a whole. Consequently, she has often said that there needs to be a break with history so that lawmakers are not exclusively white, entitled, middle-aged men. In words indeed, Lady Brenda is not only a challenger, but also a champion for others too. In her legal work, she has helped those who are often most overlooked in society and has assisted other members in her profession to set their sights high, regardless of their background, gender or ethnicity. Lady Brenda acknowledges that although she may be first, it is her moral duty to ensure that she is not the last. Part of being first is accepting your position as an outsider, and Lady Brenda's early life prepared her for that. Born in Leeds without her current titles and accolades in 1945, her family soon moved to Richmond, North Yorkshire, where her father taught in the local grammar school. Lady Brenda and her two sisters stood out from the other children as not being locals and their father's job meant that they were under greater scrutiny at home and at school. Whilst growing up in a small town, Lady Brenda observed the various markings of the British class system that still held true in parts of society, where the hopes and expectations of young people were determined by who their parents were. She said that her childhood fostered a love of social justice, that so-called morality should not be cruel, that people should not be pigeonholed into social classes, their futures determined by who their parents were and where they went to school, that education was the way out and up for all of us, not just the favoured few. Lady Brenda might have been aware of her position in this system, but it made her determined to rise above it and find her own place. Her parents had both instilled upon her the benefit and value of education. Lady Brenda's mother was also a school teacher, but had to give up her job when she got married, as this was required within the civil service in the 1930s. It is perhaps no surprise then that Lady Brenda became a self-confessed, specky girl swat. At the age of 10, she passed her 11 plus exams for entry into grammar school a year early and was the only person in her primary school to do so. Yet Lady Brenda's place at the grammar school was not taken for granted. Her entrance was dependent on availability in the local area rather than on a national pass mark. There were always fewer places available for girls than there were for boys, with many grammar schools being exclusively male. Whilst at her new school, Lady Brenda excelled at all subjects except art and needlework, with her father claiming that it was important not to be good at everything. Her favourite subjects were history, Latin and French, although in order to study Latin, which was later to prove a good grounding for her legal career, she had to attend the boys' grammar school, as her mixed school did not run the class. In particular, Lady Brenda developed a fascination for 17th century history, the era of rebellion, restoration and revolution, which lay the foundations for our modern democracy.
Little did Lady Brenda suspect that in sixty years' time she would put this knowledge to use, explaining the sovereign right of Parliament to a captive worldwide audience. Lady Brenda's life turned upside down at the age of 13, when her father died unexpectedly from a heart attack. As well as the grief in losing a much-loved parent, Lady Brenda felt vulnerable from this sudden change in her family's circumstances. Their father had been the sole provider in their family, and Lady Brenda, her mother and two sisters could potentially have faced destitution. Instead, Lady Brenda's mother defied convention. She was educated and had the qualifications to work and earn a good income. She resumed her premarital career as a school teacher and became the headmistress of the local primary school. Reminiscing over this time, Lady Brenda said, Looking back, I feel sure that the sudden loss of security and regaining it through our mother's resourcefulness is what made me so determined to qualify for a career, to carry on working, whether or not I had a family, and never to become wholly dependent on anyone else. Lady Brenda continued being an excellent student and was awarded a position at Girton College, Cambridge University. The college was founded in 1869 by suffragists Emily Davis and Barbara Brodekin as the first residential educational establishment offering degree-level education to women. However, until 1948, Cambridge University refused to bestow degrees onto its female graduates or recognise these exclusively female colleges as comparable to its male colleges. Although Lady Brenda arrived there 15 years later, in 1963, old attitudes were still pervasive. The ratio of men to women was 9 to 1. It was obvious to Lady Brenda that public school boys were encouraged to have an innate sense of entitlement to their education, whilst every female student had to regard themselves as lucky to be there. Determined to do well and prove herself, Lady Brenda graduated from Cambridge with a first-class degree in law. After leaving Cambridge, it was expected that Lady Brenda would start her career as a village solicitor in her hometown in Richmond. However, she said that the irritating, entitled young men she regularly encountered encouraged her to aim higher. Although she was attracted to becoming a barrister, her lack of personal connections meant that she could not make the necessary introductions despite her first-class degree. Yet Lady Brenda did not give up. She took up an opportunity at the University of Manchester, which offered a route to qualify as a barrister and do some part-time practice, if combined with academic teaching. In her new role, Lady Brenda's struggle for recognition continued. Her pupil master, the male barrister who was assigned to mentor her, didn't value the contribution that Lady Brenda could make as a woman. He said that litigation was fighting work and only suitable for men. Lady Brenda said the memory of such badly behaved lawyers has only encouraged her to do better. She was attracted to a career in family law, as it seemed to her that contrary to her pupil master's views, issues on the right to divorce, child custody and the division of post-divorce assets should not be exclusively determined by men. Whilst teaching at the University of Manchester, 
Lady Brenda met fellow lecturer and barrister John Hoggart. Upon getting to know him, she observed, here at last was someone who was extremely clever himself and not put off by the thought that I might be almost as clever as he was. They married in 1968 and their daughter Julia was born in 1973. It was a difficult pregnancy which developed into preeclampsia and meant that Julia was born eight weeks premature. The stress and worry caused by this experience took its toll. Lady Brenda said she had to give herself permission not to try for another child, even though she herself had always valued being one of three siblings. During this time, Lady Brenda hired a nanny as she could not imagine becoming a full-time mum. She had to concede, however, that combining two jobs as a lecturer and barrister was hindering her progress. The need to accommodate her teaching schedule meant that she was often unable to take on long time-intensive cases and this meant that her legal work was more routine and unchallenging. Lady Brenda was further hindered from the fact that her husband was also a barrister, which meant that sometimes she had to give up her caseload if her husband was presenting on the other side. As academic life was more flexible around childcare arrangements and provided a regular income, she decided to concentrate solely on that. However, Lady Brenda did not ease up in her ambitions. Whilst many lecturers commit to teaching, Lady Brenda also took extensive research into new areas of law. Her daughter said that one of her earliest memories is the sound of her mother's typewriter. In 1975, Lady Hale wrote the first legal textbook on mental health law, considering the standards and safeguarding necessary for mental health professionals and the grounds for retaining patients. During this time, she also became interested in social welfare reform and sat on the Council of Tribunals. This prepared the groundwork for two seminal and pioneering publications. The first was The Family, Law and Society, co-authored with David Pearl, and the second was Women and the Law, co-authored with Susan Atkins, dealing with how courts dealt with rape and other sexual offences. Lady Brenda's unflinching grasp of these issues caught national attention. These were the hot topics of the day, with the 1970s bringing in the Equal Pay Act and the Sex Discrimination Act. Yet even with this new legislation, their implementation in practice and their interpretation in the courts left a lot to be desired. Inequalities and injustices for women continued in many areas regarding their right to work outside the home, their sexuality, rights relating to pregnancy and motherhood, domestic violence, rights within marriage and cohabitation, divorce rights, taxation and even matters regarding citizenship. Much review and reform was still necessary and in response to Lady Brenda's outstanding academic work, she was appointed to the Law Commission. The Law Commission is an independent body which considers existing laws and recommends reform. It is at the heart of all policy making, and for Lady Brenda this was a highly influential position. At the time Lady Brenda was appointed, she was not only the first female, but at the age of 39 years old, she was also the youngest ever person to take on such a role. Yet this position had not been in her sights until she was approached for it. 
after 18 years at the University of Manchester, she had been looking for a change, but had been turned down for professorships at three universities. Later she said, How glad I now am. If any had accepted me, I would not have had the life I have had. During her tenure at the Law Commission, Lady Brenda initiated fundamental changes to law that still affect our society today. In 1987, she oversaw the creation of the Family Law Reform Act, which removed the legal stigma of illegitimacy from children born to unmarried parents. Then, in 1989, she created the Children Act, a cornerstone piece of family law reform which set out the whole framework for childhood custody and access and the role of local authorities. Initially, people are given a five-year term at the Law Commission, but Lady Brenda's position was extended three times. She increasingly widened her remit to review the grounds for legal divorce, to criminalise rape within marriage and to consider new areas in science concerning embryos and fertilisation to determine how laws relating to these developments should be made. After her success at the Law Commission, Lady Brenda became a High Court judge in 1994. It occurred to her that as well as progressing her own career, it was also a way to protect the legacy of the new law she had put into place. Many of the cases she had to consider were a means of putting into practice the legislation she had designed, and it was important that it was not misinterpreted to give rise to new legal precedents. Lady Brenda gave many judgments on IVF, particularly regarding donors and parental rights, domestic abuse, abortion, sterilisation and mental health. As she noted, determining family law cases is different to criminal and civil cases, as it is not about establishing the facts, but about weighing up moral dilemmas. She said the perspective of women, of children, and of other disadvantaged groups in society had too often been overlooked, and her decisions on the bench were an attempt to correct that. Speaking about one of her cases, where a lady became pregnant after a medical procedure for sterilisation went wrong, she said... I described in my judgment the physical and psychological consequences of pregnancy. Along with these came a severe curtailment of personal autonomy. Literally, one's life is no longer one's own, but also someone else's. The process of giving birth is rightly termed labour. It is hard work, often painful and sometimes dangerous. The invasion of the woman's personal autonomy does not stop with giving birth. She inevitably has parental responsibility for the child. That responsibility is not simply or even primarily a financial responsibility. The primary responsibility is to care for the child. Bringing up children is hard work. The responsibility lasts 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year round, until the child becomes old enough to look after him or herself. Such an insight into the experience of motherhood led to Lady Brenda's sympathetic judgment to the wronged accidental mother. It is hard to imagine a man at that time being so outspoken on the subject, which is why Lady Brenda advocates that it is important that there is diversity in the law so that lawmakers can properly represent the rights of people with different experiences.
As Lady Brenda has said, there is no advantage in having matters decided by a panel of judges if they all look and think the same. Lady Brenda's work on embryolisation and fertilisation would also have personal significance for her, as her daughter's female partner had children using a donor's sperm. It is due to laws formed through Lady Hill's work that allows people such as Julia to be recognised as the children's second mother and indeed for Lady Brenda herself to be their grandparent. In 2000, Lady Brenda became the second female judge to join the Court of Appeal because, as she said, it was about time there was one. She said, if I had a sneaking suspicion that my gender might have given me the edge, I did not let that put me off. If we think that we can do the job, we are letting the side down if we do not grasp the opportunities which come our way. The judiciary has a very established pecking order, but Lady Brenda had learned as a young girl not to be deterred by any attempts to be pigeonholed or underestimated according to her class, background or gender. Lady Brenda joined the Court of Appeal at a crossroads in the legal landscape. The Human Rights Act of 1998 had just taken effect and this required existing laws to be reinterpreted or amended to give effect to the European Convention of Human Rights. Again, Lady Brenda was on the front foot, championing the rights of those who had previously been ignored or browbeaten by the law. Such work was challenging, and as decisions in the Court of Appeal require a majority, Lady Brenda sometimes found herself as an outsider. In 2002, there was a vacancy for a new law lord at the House of Lords, the highest court in the United Kingdom. Lady Brenda saw this as the pinnacle of her career and she was tipped for the post. Reports leaked to the press and she received congratulations from friends and supporters who considered that the job was hers. However, in a surprise turn of events, the post went to someone else and the House of Lords remained exclusively male. As the position depended upon consensus from the existing law lords, Lady Brenda had to note that this was not in her favour, as she said, they were all men with very limited experience of women as equal colleagues. One law lord, however, wrote to her directly to say that no doubt your day will come. And so, although Lady Brenda felt humiliated, she held her nerve to bide her time. She said it was a dark moment. I thought that someone must have blackballed me and my chance of reaching the highest court in the land had gone forever. But I should not have worried. I was, after all, only 57, and I had been a full-time judge for less than nine years. As Lady Brenda reflected on learning the long game, work was already afoot to appoint her to the House of Lords the following year, and become its first female law lord. The misnomer in name, with there being no such thing as a law lady, and there only been a House of Lords, was not lost upon Lady Hale. It is a well-known fact that if you can't see it, you can't be it, and for too long the route into law had been closed to women. Not shying away from her newly found position, Lady Hale adopted as her motto, Women are equal to everything. It is an apt motto for all of Lady Brenda's experience. Her legal work promoted that women are equal to men in dignity and rights, 
whilst her legal career shows that women are equal to men in ambition and aptitude. It was a crowning achievement, not just for her own personal success, but in answer to all the naysayers she had encountered ever since her first days at Cambridge University and when training as a barrister. The position also afforded Lady Hale the opportunity to create her own coat of arms, which she duly embraced. She designed it alongside her granddaughter. It includes legal schools and the recognisable towers from Richmond Castle. What is perhaps most striking is the presence of two frogs with crowns on their head. Lady Hale has explained that these are a tribute to her second husband, Julian Farrard, who she met at the University of Manchester and worked alongside in her days at the Law Commission. They were close friends for a long time until they recognised their feelings for each other. This is why Lady Brenda always affectionately refers to him as her frog prince, someone who she overlooked for many years before falling in love. Whilst at the House of Lords, Lady Brenda encountered another major constitutional upheaval. Laws are usually passed by both the House of Commons and the House of Lords before they receive royal assent. The House of Lords was also the final lawmaker in the United Kingdom for cases that progressed through the courts. However, when the hunting bill was proposed, banning fox hunting, there was a challenge raised in the courts that went all of the way to the House of Lords. This created a conflict of interest, where the House of Lords could not impartially consider a proposed law in the courts which they had already determined in Parliament. One of the founding principles of the UK Constitution is that no one should be a judge in their own case, and yet this is what had been exposed. For this reason, it was determined that the House of Lords should no longer be the highest court in the land. Instead, a new Supreme Court was established that could be independent from Parliament. As it happened, Lady Brenda was the first female judge in the House of Lords, and unintentionally its last. Instead, in 2009, she automatically became the first female judge of the newly formed Supreme Court. In order to promote the complete separation between Parliament and the judiciary, the Supreme Court was not to be based in the Houses of Parliament, and its judges had to find a new home. Lady Brenda was one of those entrusted with renovating Guildhall into the Supreme Court's new premises. It was a challenging task, converting a robust historical building into a functional and comfortable workplace. Lady Brenda and her team succeeded, with many noting that she had added a much-needed feminine touch to what people referred to as the existing building's robust masculinity. In fact, Lady Brenda was not completely satisfied. One of the preconditions in being allowed to renovate the building was to leave the existing historical artwork. It troubled Lady Brenda that everywhere there were pictures of old white male judges. In 2012, a new opportunity presented itself. The existing president of the Supreme Court was due to retire, and Lady Brenda considered herself up to the job. She said, I was then the longest-serving and most experienced member of the court. I thought that my varied career had given me the skills necessary for the job. I had experience of management in the university 
and at the National Family Mediation. I had experience in leading teams at the Law Commission and elsewhere. I had long experience of chairing meetings, often very difficult meetings. I was a good communicator, with a worldwide reputation. But others thought that Lord Newberger, then the Master of the Rolls, was the obvious candidate. And so it turned out to be. Yet again, Lady Brenda was overlooked for a more traditional applicant. She found out that she had strong support from outside the court and had interviewed well. But the final say was made by the existing court members who preferred to preserve the status quo. The situation was not lost on Lady Brenda, who has frequently noted that progress towards diversity necessarily means that those already established have to give up their place. Undeterred, Lady Brenda accepted the position of deputy in 2013 and used this as an opportunity to win over her sceptics. She carried out the role for four years until, in September 2017, she finally became the first female president of the UK Supreme Court. In fact, she was then the only applicant, as her work in the preceding years had proven to all that she was the obvious choice for the job. Lady Brenda was 72 years old when she succeeded into the post, whereas her retiring male predecessor was 69. It seems that extra time and hard work is the current price for diversity and equality. Yet little did Lady Brenda suspect that her crowning achievement was still to come. In 2015, the UK narrowly agreed in a referendum to withdraw from the European Union, more commonly referred to as Brexit. Pressure groups started court proceedings, claiming that the government had no authority to act from the referendum result and could only withdraw from the European Union if approved by an Act of Parliament. Lady Brenda and other members of the Supreme Court agreed that an Act of Parliament was necessary. Thereafter, Parliament passed the European Union Notification of Withdrawal Act in 2017, granting the UK two years to complete the withdrawal process. The then Prime Minister, Theresa May, called a surprise general election in June 2017, in which she lost her majority. After much political manoeuvring, the European Union Withdrawal Act 2018 only narrowly passed, requiring the withdrawal agreement from the EU to be approved by Parliament. This withdrawal agreement was rejected by Parliament three times and Theresa May was forced to extend the notification period from the 31st of March to the 31st of October. Theresa May resigned as Prime Minister and was succeeded by Boris Johnson in June 2019. Parliament went into its summer recess for four weeks and was due to return on the 3rd of September. During this time, Boris Johnson advised the Queen that Parliament should be prorogued, effectively suspended, for five weeks to forestall the Brexit negotiations. This would effectively mean that Parliament could not meet or debate the withdrawal agreement in the countdown to exit day on the 31st of October. Parliament also had no say on the prorogation, as the matter is solely determined by the Queen on the advice of her Prime Minister. This matter was challenged in the courts, with yet again the final say having to come from the Supreme Court. Lady Brenda, as President, 
assembled all 11 Supreme Court judges to consider if the government had acted within its legal powers in proroguing Parliament. In what became Lady Brenda's most famous moment, she made the judgment wearing her spider brooch. She announced the unanimous decision that the prorogation was unlawful and had been motivated by the improper purpose of stifling Parliament's scrutiny over the withdrawal agreement at a crucial time. In her speech, she was able to explain that political power is to operate within the confines of the law, otherwise it is tyranny. Lady Brenda's life's work had led her to upholding the law at a crucial time in history, and Lady Brenda was courted as a national hero. After this upsurge in fame and popularity, Lady Brenda retired from the bench in January 2020, just three weeks short of her 75th birthday. She was looking forward to a slowed down pace, but nothing could have prepared her for commencing her retirement in the COVID-19 pandemic. The lockdown months allowed her to spend more time with her family in her hometown of Richmond, North Yorkshire. Sadly, just over six months later, her husband Julian died suddenly in July 2020. She concludes her autobiography by saying that her life now is nothing as she expected it would be, but then her whole life has been nothing like she expected. She could not have expected the low points in her life, like her father dying young, or her later getting passed over for jobs which she had the qualifications and experience for. Yet equally, she could not have expected the scale of her achievements, from coming from a small Yorkshire town to becoming the highest judge in the United Kingdom. Despite her vast array of achievements in being first, Lady Brenda's life shows that she was often not many people's first choice. Her lack of professional connections, and maybe also the fact that she was an academic, a northerner and female, meant that she was often dismissed as an outsider and underestimated. Yet Lady Brenda knew what she was capable of and set about proving it during her long and illustrious career. Her ultimate success shows that if we are turned down for an opportunity, it may have absolutely nothing to do with our capability. Lady Brenda achieved many accolades in later life, and the delay was often due to the shortcomings in others recognising her abilities, overcoming their prejudices, and being able to accept her valuable contribution. Lady Brenda teaches us what is meant by truly being first. It is not only an act of accomplishment, but also a way of existence. It requires active striving, carefully balanced by resolved patience. Sometimes you have to wait for the rest of the world to catch up and be ready for the unique contribution that only you can make. When you are a trailblazer, your way is often contested and your intentions may be misunderstood. Yet Lady Brenda's tremendous sense of purpose guided her throughout. Her motivation in upholding equality and fairness gave her direction in embracing challenging moral areas of law. She had conviction in the work she did, and most of all, she held on to a tremendous sense of self-belief in her own abilities. Although women are equal to everything, only became her official motto upon entering the House of Lords, it seems that it was an integral belief for Lady Hale throughout her whole life, 
and one that she proved more than worthy of. It is a starting assumption for all women, so that we are free to set our own ambitions, and Lady Brenda has said that she hopes her success is an encouragement to all. Thank you for listening to Rise Up Firebird with Grace O'Carolyn. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, you can find me under grace underscore O'Carolyn for details of forthcoming episodes. The music is Brahms Cello Sonata in F, played by John Michelle and available under the Winky Media Commons license. Please join me for another episode of Rise Up Firebird, when I'll be giving details of the next woman who has transformed her life. In the meantime, I hope this gives you the encouragement you need to rise, spread your wings and fly. Rise up, Firebird. <laughs>